0: Happy Sunday, everyone. This week, we're finishing up our work in Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Project. And so we've been really working this whole month on the idea and the promise that with a little intentional activity, we can actually permanently raise our general level of happiness. Her promise is 10% and I think I'm feeling most of that 10% already just from some of the things I've been working on. Today we're going to finish out this with maybe a little bit of an interesting twist if you remember the very first week we talked about ultimately happiness being an inside job right someone can't really make us feel happy we have to be open hearted to it we have to uh, be willing to accept it so in many ways although we've been planning activities and different ways of being to promote happiness ultimately right it's here what would make me happy might not make you happy right? Uh, On the most basic level, it's an inside job. And today we're going to talk more about that idea. And in particular, the author of this book says, mindfulness is a key to happiness. Let's talk for a moment though, before we go there, about brain science. We're going to get the bad news part of things out of the way, and then we'll get a chance to be silly again later. So scientists have done a lot of research on the way we store memories, the way we recall memories, the way that uh, uh, we think about ourselves when we're thinking about events that have already happened, or if we're worrying about events that have already occurred. And and I have a, a minor quiz for you. What percentage of our thoughts going through our head, first of all, are conscious? Gosh, you guys have crammed for this exam. It is. It's 5%. Only 5% of our thinking processes are we actually consciously aware of them. In fact, uh, I'll take another survey, and you really don't have to hold up your hands on this one because it is with a bit of shame that I would raise my hand for this. Who here has driven from, say, work to home and pulled in the driveway, and was not aware of the entire trip. Okay, some of you are brave, others of you are just lying by keeping your hands down, and that's okay, because <laughs> if you think about it, it's kind of bizarre, isn't it, that we could go through all of those turns, and traffic lights, and, uh, and freeway driving, and lane changes, and all of that, we could do an entire trip entirely unconscious. So that's what I'm talking about. That's why we can get through most of a day, I would bet, (laughs) unconscious. Okay, now if that wasn't bad enough, there's one more bad news thing I want to talk about, and then we'll move forward. Guess what percentage of our unconscious thinking is positive versus negative? What percent of our unconscious thinking is positive? Oh gosh, it's not quite that bad, (laughs) but it's bad enough. Only about 30% of our unconscious thinking is positive. So when we've checked out, when we're not really present, when we're doing that 20-minute drive from our work to home on automatic, 70% of our thinking will be negative. Now, do you see why it's then so important to be in the present moment? Because when we're not, our happiness ideas, our ability to enjoy our life 70% of the time, right out the window, because we'll be fixating, either worrying about things bad that could happen, or we'll be ruminating about negative things that did already happen. Now when we approach things consciously, of course, we have the ability to set up our own expectations, our own experience of life. So first of all, as much as we can, it's good for us to wake up and be conscious. Then we're not on autopilot. Then we're not getting that automatic 70% of negativity in our lives. And I got to tell you, that 70% of negativity, when it's just running in the background, no matter what lovely activities we're involved in, no matter whether we're with family and friends, no matter whether we're out enjoying nature, as soon as we tune out as soon as we're not fully present in that moment, that 70% of negativity tends to kick right in there. And we'll start, you know, we'll be having the most lovely day on the river with friends and suddenly our mind will be off on some encounter that we had with the boss the previous week that was negative. Or or we'll be thinking about the future and, oh my gosh, what happens if, you know, someone steals the car or... You know, or you know what? I mean, you know where our minds go, right? (laughs) I I could almost say any weird negative thing, and, and one or more of us would say, oh gosh, I've had that thought. It's because it's part of our natural way that our memories are encoded. All right, one last brain science thing, then I promise we'll move on. Guess how long it takes for us to move a pleasant short term encounter into our long-term memory. Now, this is a hard one. Probably most of you would just be guessing on this. It takes us a prolonged experience of pleasure, 10 full seconds before it moves from our short-term into our long-term. Now, think about this for a minute. It doesn't sound like it's very long, but is it? How long does a hug last? If it lasts 10 seconds, you're probably worried something else is going on, right? (laughs) If you think about a lot of the very pleasant encounters we have, the encounter itself doesn't last 10 seconds. And do we actually maintain the thought long enough to where it gets offloaded into it. You know, in, the, in some of our elder spaces, one of, one of the ways they uh, nurses and doctors will check, they will check to see if you remember what you had for dinner the previous night. And in theory, that's a, a very quick way of, of determining whether uh, you're doing well memory-wise. But I gotta tell you, most of us don't even think about eating our dinners, right? I mean, I would be hard-pressed on some evenings to say what I had the previous night for dinner, right? And in fact, they've done studies on Americans' eating habits. For people who eat alone, most of them don't even bother with a plate, Most Americans who are eating by themselves, some of you are nodding, some of you are looking horrified. Most Americans, and in fact, if you're a guy, they say most of us eat over the sink. (laughs) So, you know, embarrassing, I know. But the, the whole idea is, here's a very pleasant activity that most of us do. We do not even take the time to notice what we're eating, to make it into an experience that will last long enough to be recorded in our memories even. Most, many of our pleasant experiences throughout the day and throughout the week will not even be recorded in our memory. We won't have the option of even remembering how pleasant that was. All right, flip side. Guess how long it takes for a negative memory to go into your long term memory banks. It's instantaneous. Now, this just isn't fair. <laughs> I want to take an issue with these brain scientists, but apparently, an older part of our brain is in control of what negative gets stored in our memory banks. And it actually uh, gets encountered in our central nervous system before the part that records the pleasurable memories. So it's like negative things funnel right into our long-term memory Positive things go through this 10-second delay process where we evaluate it, have a chance to think about it, and unless we reinforce it for 10 seconds, it just, oops, there it went scary, isn't it? So let's talk about something more pleasant. We're going to be talking about how to wake up from this, how to short circuit this. And of course, I have found a wonderful joke uh, to lead us into it. So a businesswoman was getting a little stressed out. She decided she would join a meditation group. She attended the group every day for a couple of weeks. She learned how to meditate and the importance of mindfulness. She was already noticing some of the benefits uh, from her slightly slowed down lifestyle. One thing was still bugging her, though. During their meditation, the teacher of the group would often talk about living in the moment. Listen to the silence around you and be in the moment, she would say, or or when you find yourself angry or confused, just be in the moment until it passes. Well, one day after class, she decided to confront her teacher. I'm having some trouble with the mindfulness concepts, she began to explain. Are you learning to live in the moment, he asked. though that's just it, she said. I, I want to learn to live in the moment, but just not this moment. <laughs> and I think that is the trouble. I think there is something seductive in imagining that either the past or the future is somehow better than what you've got right now, right? We we tend to think, well, well maybe uh, this encounter is gonna be extra special that I'm gonna have later. or Or I know some of us ruminate on the good old days, but the trouble with that is we will tend to find faults with the good old days. Remember how our memory works? Even if we recall a pleasant time we will tend to remember more about the negative things that went with it. And when we're looking at the future, we will tend to do the what-if analysis more around negative things that are likely to happen. And frankly, bottom line is, when can you feel happy? Only right now. By imagining you're happy in the future doesn't guarantee you will be happy in the future, right? And the past is is done and gone. You can't reimagine the past and feel happier then. (laughs) All you can do is hope to change how you feel about your life right now in this moment. And so ultimately, only this moment counts In happiness, you can't do anything that will guarantee it in the future, and you can't rewrite your level of it from the past. And so, Gretchen Rubin, in this book, says, "Make this moment count above all." And so, she has some techniques for doing this, which I think are kind of uh, kind of interesting. First of all, she recommends that you actually keep track of what you're doing for a while in the moment. Are you present? So if you're having dinner with friends, are you present for your friends? Or are you thinking of previous times that you had with your friends? Or are you planning your next vacation, right? Are you really present for what's going on right now? She suggests that we check in with ourselves, that we do whatever's necessary periodically through an activity. You know, am I really on this walk or am I thinking about work later in the day? Do you know what I mean? Am I really shopping or am I uh, worried about something that happened previously? And so for her perspective, anything we can do to put in a little filter to check, no, am I here? Am I actually here? Am I doing what I'm doing? Because then you can make the choice to feel better about it. So how many people here think you have direct control over your emotions? All right, I figured I'd get some spotty spotty hands up on that one. Because I think we're used to thinking that we only get to react, that our emotions are completely reactive. That if I'm having a good day, it's because things out there Allowed me to have a good day, and if we're having a bad day, right? Aren't we quick to blame it on things that happened in traffic or the boss or uh, or the weather's too hot or the weather's too cold or, right? Don't we tend to think that I'm at the mercy of what happens to me? It isn't so. We really have the power to change our thinking and our feelings as well. Uh, from a biochemical standpoint, in fact, our our uh, chemistry that, that increases our heart rate and, and does the kinds of things that makes us happy and sad and anxious, those feelings, those are directly triggered by our thoughts. And so... Uh, you know, what is it we say every Sunday, that thing about changing your thinking and, and changing your life, you can actually put a filter in between your thoughts and your emotions. So let me give you an example. Have you ever known uh, what I think of as a wild child, one of those kids that reacts somewhat aggressively and, and somewhat demonstratively around things that kind of don't go their way does anyone have a a grandchild or a child or no (laughs) someone has a child right now probably upstairs right all right all right fair enough anyway what what you'll notice happens is they're just right they react just in that second to something that happens so something doesn't go their way and they just come out punching almost right well, the idea of this, of course, this is left over from, from early stages of humans when it was important to react to something negative in the second. You needed to immediately pick up your spear and do something, or you needed to immediately take flight because, gosh, no, something was hunting you down. And so that's where that comes from. And those, uh, those quick reactions are right there. It's part of our chemicals. But don't we, over time most of us, (laughs) learn how to disconnect our urge from taking some kind of violent action on it. Well, that's what I'm talking about. That is a way that over time we have learned that given a stimulus, we don't have to be angry anymore. We do not have to react in a violent way. And the first thing we did was change the action The first thing we learned to do was, okay, well, I can still be mad, but I probably can't knock someone out. I probably can't do the physical part of it. And then, over time, we developed the idea of, well, and do I even really need to be angry? They just cut me off on the freeway, right? doesn't need to ruin my day. I can choose to have a different reaction. I might not choose happiness, <laughs> but at least I'm not choosing, you know, violent anger, right? Well, that's what I'm talking about. We can literally train ourselves to look around us and choose for the most part to experience happiness. When you're first of all, when you're living in the present moment, there's not a lot of negativity going on. Think about it for a minute. Most of the negativity that we experience, we actually prolong it beyond the parameters of when it actually happened, right? I mean, how long does it take for you to get cut off on the freeway? Gosh, it happens in a few seconds, doesn't it? And yet, doesn't that stick with us for a long time? See, we're actually prolonging it. And when you stay in the moment you can look around and say instead, that's one of my favorite songs on the radio now. Oh my gosh, I'm with the people that I love right now. Why am I gonna persist in this idea of something that's going on in my head? And, and start slow. I realize that for some of us, we're not used to actually modifying what we think and how we feel. But in the same way, I assure you That small children learn over time, first of all, not to take physical action on every little thing that happens to them, and over time they learn to actually begin questioning their impulses, we can also learn to question the feelings that go with them. Do I really need to be upset when I'm cut off on the freeway? Does it have any positive value? Wouldn't it be nice to just regard it as a dumb thing and instead focus on the next song on the radio? Focus on thinking about the people that you love that are in the car with you. Focus on you know, where you're headed and what a nice time you're going to have when you get there. We have those choices. They won't come at first, and they won't come automatically. But I tell you, we can train ourselves. The other thing I want to quickly talk about are some additional things that we can do to bring mindfulness into our lives. Have you ever considered that when you do something brand new, something that you're not used to doing, you're generally fully mindful of it? So one of the secrets for our summer of fun, and now we're getting back to LaRonda and a bit of silliness, I think. (laughs) Think of something that would be outrageous and silly and fun that you've never done before. And that is almost guaranteed to be an activity that you will be fully present for. So whether it's uh, taking a ballroom dance lesson, whether it's going kayaking for the first time, whether it's, uh, I have an urge, a really strange urge to go to that rock climbing gym. Uh, uh, Now, who knows how long it would take them to get me into one of those harnesses, but, but nonetheless... Some new activity, perhaps, that you've never done before. In the book, she talks about taking a drawing class for the first time, something she'd never done before. Now, if you think about it, something brand new, you're fully engaged. You don't know how to do it. You're, you're checking out how other people do it. You're getting advice. Your mind can't wander because you're fully immersed in it. It's a great way to not only learn or do something new, but to actually elevate your level of happiness. And I want to talk just a little bit more, too, about those three levels of happiness. So week two, we learned that there are three levels of happiness. One is the idea of a very passive kind of happiness, they call it relaxation activities, and into that falls things like shopping and watching TV, listening to the radio. They're pleasant, but they only last as long as the activity itself, as soon as the radio or the TV is off. Not so much anymore. And then we talked about level two kinds of happiness activities, uh, those cooperative ones where we're involving other people. And so not only is it a, 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 a nice activity, but you're doing it with people that you care about. And so that amps it up. And what uh, brain researchers have shown is that level of happiness persists quite a bit longer than the event itself. So you're still thinking about, well, what a nice time we had, right? Like I'm still thinking about the lovely time we had here on Thursday night. That's going to persist a long time for me, right? Because it involved people. And then the third level that they talk about is the idea of activities where you really plunge your heart and soul into it. And doesn't this idea of doing something brand new It covers those. It's that third level that persists even longer because you're really, when you're learning something new, you're putting your heart and your soul into it. You're really trying to figure out, well, how do I do this and what's involved, whether it's maybe a sport you've never played before or an outdoor activity you haven't done before. You're really learning something. You're putting your heart into it. It's the kind of thing that will persist and elevate your happiness for a really long time. So to conclude our summer of fun, that, of course, would be my suggestion for some homework. Um, Now, we're going to close out this book for the month, but I'm hoping that most of us are still taking a look at intentions and activities to raise our level of happiness for the rest of the summer. Because if we do something for three months, it will tend to lock in will we'll automatically then have that higher level of happiness that will just carry us through. So my suggestion is, let's add in some activity that we haven't tried before. It will be done in the present moment. It will involve that third, more long-lasting level of happiness. Who knows, it might turn out into a favorite pastime or a new way of being. But what I know is, even if we only do it for the rest of the summer, it will help raise that overall consciousness of pleasantness and happiness in our lives. It'll it'll raise that set point that we talked about in week one so that just in general, we will be happier. So summarizing this entire month, our, uh, our summer of fun, first of all, you can and probably should make a plan around it. If we just leave it to our brain, we are not apt to change our thinking and our behaviors. If we put it into some kind of a plan, here is the plan for me doing new activities, here is the plan for me uh, moving up those levels of happiness, uh, choosing to watch TV a little less, choosing to be with other people that we love a little more. You get the idea? Just through making an actual plan, for uh, modifying some of our behaviors will automatically begin raising our ability to accept love and life and happiness into our lives. So, so that's the first one, is really having a plan. And when we have that plan and when we act on it, our set point for happiness will rise for that extended period in the summer. This fall, we can even fall back on some of those activities and the level of happiness will continue. We will have actually reset our thermostat for happiness at a higher level. Well, well proven, if you do new activities and move your set points up for about three months, it becomes a new normal for you. And if you suddenly find yourself without happiness activities, you'll begin searching them out without even thinking about it. It's, uh, it, it's fun how the brain works. Once you've set that new level of what you're expecting to enjoy in life, then it, you will find them. You won't even have to think about it anymore. So we're going to continue doing that through the other two months in the summer. And then I already covered the different strengths of happiness, right? So whenever you get the choice... Single out activities that are that third level, the, the level of fun or activities where you're fully involved in it with your creativity and your heart. You're involving other people in it, of course, and it is an activity that you enjoy doing. If it meets all three of those criteria, this is an activity that will carry the, the fun, the enjoyment, long after the activity itself is complete. Second best is simply doing things with friends. Even if there are things that you didn't, uh, off the top of your head, think this is the, the the best thing ever we would do. Even if it doesn't fit into that category, if it's with people that you enjoy, you'll get that second level of happiness. And then, last but not least, even the relaxing fun better then no fun, right? <laughs> so, so if you've had a hard day, let's not go home and ruminate about it and grumble. Let's at least put on some pleasant music, right? Let's at least do some relaxation times of fun that will help stabilize uh, and get rid of worries and things like that. Uh, you know, put on a, a silly song and dance to it. In fact, uh, in the book, uh, she talks about one of her activities uh, is that she uh, closes the blind locks the door puts on a silly song and where carefully no one can see her she dances and uh, and just give yourself the permission even to do something crazy and silly because it will have the effect of really changing how you think about yourself long term it will open your heart up to actually enjoy things better all right i'm going to close with a, a final quote now remember she does her happiness project for a whole year. And so this is how she summarizes her year project of happiness. During this year, when people asked me, so what's the secret to happiness? At different times, I'd answer different things. Sometimes I'd say exercise or sleep or the idea of doing good to feel good or or strengthen your connections to other people. But by the end of December... I would realized that the most helpful aspect of my help, happiness project had not been any of the particular resolutions. The single most effective step for me had been to keep track of my progress. Making the resolution wasn't the hardest part of the happiness project. Following through (laughs) was the hardest part. The desire to change was meaningless unless I had a plan, unless I could find a way to make the changes stick. And then she goes on to say, even if I didn't do a perfect job at keeping track of resolutions, I will do better, and the more of the resolutions I keep, the happier I became. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one uh, goodness, one life, one, one source of joy, one source of happiness. Of course, it comes from the divine. It comes from God. God's happiness is ours. I internalize that for myself. I recognize that, that in my own heart, this is uh, my summer of happiness. This is a, a way for me to elevate my uh, general level of joy in a way that will persist into the fall and beyond. Happiness is mine. And as it is true for me, I I claim that capability of everyone here to put together a happiness plan, to to have that project of uh, raising our spirits, of raising our ability to accept more joy in our life. And whether it comes through meditation or mindfulness, whether it comes from activities that raise our our spirits and our hearts, whether it comes from our our friendships and our family or putting our, our heart and soul into some new activity, all of these, I know, are on the path. of happiness and for this for this I give great thanks recognizing that to each of us as we accept it joy is present and I'm grateful for this I let it be and together we say and so it is thank you for being here today so glad you were here this Sunday we hope you enjoyed today's podcast If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts,